0: You are listening to Radio Free Humanity, the Marxist Humanist Podcast. My name is Brendan Cooney. And I'm Andrew Kleinman. On today's podcast, we welcome back Anne Jaclard to talk about the recent Dobbs Supreme Court decision taking away the right to an abortion in the United States. We're going to talk about the political fallout from the decision and some of the history of the women's movement in this country around uh, reproductive issues. To hear more episodes of Radio Free Humanity, to read more about the issues discussed, or to join in the conversation, please visit marxisthumanistinitiative.org. You can also make a donation to the podcast there on the website. While our podcast is hosted by MHI, the views expressed by the co-hosts and guests of Radio Free Humanity are their own. They do not necessarily reflect the views and positions of MHI. In just a moment, we'll be talking with Angela Clark about the Dobbs decision. But first, as we do in every episode. Andrew and I are going to take a few minutes to talk about some current events. Today is Tuesday, August 23rd. We're we're going to be talking about the um, ongoing investigations into Trump. It's been a couple weeks since the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago. And we also are going to be talking about the political fallout from that. In particular, there was a piece in Slate on August 19th by Dahlia Lithwick entitled, We don't need a Trump-inspired civil war for things to get real bad real fast. And it's a quick discussion of how things might play out from here with uh, the Trump base, whether they're going to be encouraged to be more violent or whether some of this stuff might actually wither away as Trump uh, faces more consequences.
1: And, you know, it could be both at the same time. In other words, the violent ones get more and more violent, but they have a smaller you know circle of people around them and other people just they might like still sympathize but they, they give up and they
0: move on. Right. I mean that's part of what the piece is trying to suss out because some people are saying that the escalation of rhetoric against the FBI and the Justice Department sort of lay laying, laying the ground for some or some real violent confrontation while other people are maybe suggesting that as Trump is diminished by these prosecutions that it will have a negative effect on the potency of the Trump base, the, the, the infighting and the backstabbing is going to uh, take the win out of the sails of the Trump base.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, the way Dahlia Lithwick puts it, uh, and she's referring to what Juliet Kayyem says, the more Trump looks like a loser, the more his followers begin to turn on one another. So, I mean, we've said this for a very, very long time, that the way you're going to reach Trump voters is to defeat Trump and, and, and Trumpism, not the other way. You're not going to reach them first and, and, and then defeat Trumpism. So I think that's the, the, the key question here is, does Trump still have his magical superpowers that are going to enable him to miraculously get out of this the way he seems to have miraculously gotten out of everything before? Or is he going to go down? And if he goes down, well, then what happens? We're going to see a, a, a major civil war, you know, a fascist uprising from the base? Or, or is it going to be that uh, the real... Uh, violent wing is still going to be there but diminished in strength and the other people will slink away and begin to turn on one another yeah
0: she points to some ways in which the republicans are turning on themselves already that might point toward this thesis that trumpism will be diminished by these prosecutions she you know mentions that mike pence came out and defended the fbi recently and that some influential people are, are endorsing Ron DeSantis and separating themselves from Trump.
1: Right. The, the influential person that's mentioned, however, has just walked that back.
0: Oh, is that right? Do you mean uh, Alex Jones? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that.
1: He, he, I, I didn't read the story because that's how much I care about him and his followers. But uh, he was evidently uh, on TV begging for forgiveness.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, she mentions Alex Jones, uh, who apparently came out and criticized Trump over Trump's endorsement of vaccines and said, you know, Ron DeSantis is the real deal. He's better than Trump. But apparently he's walked that back. She also, I think, mentions like Elon Musk endorsing DeSantis over Trump. It's a crazy day that these are like the gatekeepers of the Republican sentiment. Uh, But she also points to some Fox News people, right? That
1: yeah, Laura Ingram is, is really beside herself. She does not know what to do. She thinks that Trump is going to go down very clearly. And she's trying to, like, dig out of this hole. And she doesn't want to be caught when the whole thing comes crashing down.
0: Yeah, there are these people who are sort of trying to walk the tightrope and not get rolled over by the Trump base. Now you're not, they don't want the mob at their door. <laughs> but they also want to create some distance to save their own skin right? If he gets the electric chair for treason or whatever, they want to have some distance. But then there's also like the sharks that are circling. They smell blood, right? That's like Ron DeSantis, these other people who want to be Trump 2.0, and they're just like waiting for their chance to swoop in. Um, There
1: is that aspect of if Trump personally goes down, can Trumpism just keep chugging along as a political movement? With the same strength as before, under you know new leadership, or will a lot of the base go the other way because it's a cult of personality and Desantis and personality don't mix. Uh,
0: yeah, uh, that's the hard that's the hard thing about a cult yeah, of personality. It's hard to cult of no personality. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: beyond that, there's the Republican establishment, and a good deal of what Dahlia Lithwick says is like the Republican establishment really wants Trump gone, but the Irony, so to speak, is that they are doing everything they can to whip up, you know, the conspiracy thinking, the faux outrage over the, uh, you know, Mar-a-Lago raid and all, all that kind of thing, and it's because they they have no political downside; they don't suffer any consequences. It's it, it's the the rest of us who, who suffer consequences. Uh, luckily, we haven't seen many consequences thus far. You know, just some wacko with a nail gun storming <laughs> the FBI trying to blast through the uh, bullet glass. Uh, there hasn't been much uh, thus far. Um, but, I, you know, I really think the issue is this. We've, we've talked about this before. Going back to Access Hollywood, going back to the Judge Cur- Curiel, going back, everything, it's always like, okay, Trump can't. Get out of it this time. He's going to go down. And we've seen again and again worse and worse things, and he doesn't go down. I believe that this time is different because his usual bag of tricks are to do something to show that he's got a lot, a lot of people behind him. And it really matters and that they can spin the facts their way. They can do their alternative facts. They can create their version. And then it's always one narrative versus another narrative. And you just hate Trump and everything. And this is a witch hunt and, and so forth. All of that has been true of everything that Trump has been involved in before. It's It cannot work this time.
0: When you say this time, you're referring to the, the classified documents.
1: You know, the Mar-a-Lawgate scandal, all aspects of it. Okay. Also, the the Georgia probe, there are laws on the books, and there are, it looks like, enough judges who are going to go by the book and by the facts, and juries as well. And when you look at Trump's record, in these kinds of things, it's always very poor. I mean, how how many of those uh, decisions did he win when he was trying to overturn the election of 2020 in the courts? I mean, there were, what, 63 cases he lost 62-1, he, which was a minor technical point. He, you know, he, he prevailed on a minor technical point. He doesn't do well. He did not do well with the, the Trump University case way back. Again and again, what he talks about gets laughed out of court. I mean, it's court-related. This one's not, not criminal, but not long ago, what a week ago, he had to testify, and he pleaded the Fifth Amendment 440 times. So he's got magical superpowers when it comes to fascist demagogy. He doesn't have magical superpowers when it comes to uh, evading the consequences of the law as long as people in charge of the law are going to, you know, go by it. And I have every indication, you know, it looks like Merrick Garland when he says no one's above the law and blah, blah, blah. That indicates that he is not going to flinch in the end. On these matters. Whether he wants to go after Trump or not, I, I I find it hard to imagine he's going to say, well, we got this guy dead to rights. He's guilty of sin. But for the good of the country, let bygones be bygones. I, I just, at this point, that thing's gotten to be too big. I just can't imagine him doing that.
0: Well, we will see. Um, we're going to have to leave it at that. Up next, our conversation with Andrew Clark about the Dobbs decision.
1: Today we're going to be speaking with uh, Anne Jaclard, who's the Organizational Secretary of Marxist Humanist Initiative. She's been a Marxist humanist and a feminist activist since the 1960s. She demonstrated for legalizing abortion prior to the Roe v. Wade decision of 1973, and she continued supporting abortion rights throughout the nearly 50 years since the Roe decision. And we're going to be discussing today the recent Supreme Court Dobbs decision, which took away the federal right to abortion that Roe established, and talk about how Dobbs came about and its aftermath thus far.
0: So welcome, Angela Clark, back to the podcast.
1: Thanks, you guys. It's good to be with you.
0: So the Supreme Court decision in Dobbs versus Jackson's women's health organization was issued about two months ago. And suddenly, as most of us on the planet are aware now, a woman's right to choose whether to continue a pregnancy has no federal legal protection anymore in the United States. All abortion rights have become threatened. But for listeners who maybe are outside of the US and are totally tuned into what's going on in the US, can you briefly catch everyone up to speed on what the Dobbs decision means?
2: Uh, Sure, but I bet our foreign listeners have a good idea because women's struggles for the right to abortion have been going on all over the world in recent years, from Ireland to Argentina and beyond. In the U.S., we thought we'd won the fight almost 50 years ago when the Supreme Court in Roe v. Wade held that abortion decisions with some restrictions are up to women and their doctors. So the state laws criminalizing abortion were all suddenly invalid. Now with Dobbs reversing Roe v. Wade, there's no federal legal protection for abortion rights. About half the states have already effectively outlawed abortion or poised to do so. And the Trump Republican Party wants Congress to outlaw abortion nationally. The details of the ruling are shocking, most notably that it makes no exception to its advocacy of an absolute ban on abortion. In all the years that abortion rights were chipped away at over the past 50 years and many state restrictions were upheld, there was always some exception written into permissible bans. Usually the exceptions were for victims of rape and incest or when a woman's life or health was in danger. Now, because Dobbs speaks in such absolutist terms against abortion, Trump publican states are passing laws with no exceptions at all resulting in horrible, horrible situations such as forcing children who've been raped to bear children and forcing women to carry dead fetuses to term. The difficulties of obtaining an abortion where they remain legal at all are adding to poor women's burdens. Abortion care providers where they remain at work are hobbled and threatened with prosecution by insane restrictions such as laws allowing abortion only during the first six weeks of pregnancy, a time when most women don't even know they're pregnant. In addition to this, Hobbes hints that other rights expanded by the courts over the past few decades, even the right to contraception and to marry outside your, quote, race, close quote, these could also be lost. Undoubtedly, more and more laws against racial discrimination those protecting voting voting rights and privacy rights and regulating industry, many, many will be struck down by this court. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, it seems like there's a lot to talk about just in terms of what it means for abortion to be illegal in so much of the United States. But then there's also the, the precedents set by Dobbs for how the Supreme Court understands Rights in general, and how you defend or you know ma- make a case for a, a right in U.S. law, and all the the precedents that are that, that sets for lots of different things, from gay marriage to interracial marriage to all sorts of issues. With the abortion issue, you know, you you brought up and this issue of these very restrictive restrictive laws where there are no exceptions even for rape, incest, life of the mother, etc. I mean. Even in places where they you know, people are talking about such exceptions, like it, I feel like the exceptions thing is kind of this hand wave, kind of get out of jail free card, where politicians make themselves like not responsible for all the effects of their, uh, such restrictions. Like these are like sometimes, especially when it comes to like the health of the the mother, these are like very nuanced, complicated medical decisions that. You can't really address in a state legislature. Like there really are medical decisions for a doctor and a patient to work out. And there's this chilling effect now where doctors are afraid to make those kind of nuanced decisions because the laws are so black and white and written by people who are ignorant of, maybe even willfully ignorant of these medical nuances. And doctors are just afraid to do a lot of things that they maybe could get away with, maybe couldn't get away with under certain state laws because the law is so oblivious to the nuance of women's healthcare.
1: For instance, doctors who know that they need to treat a woman to perform an emergency uh, abortion and they, ca- they can't do it, uh, even though the woman's life is in danger because she's not bleeding enough yet, so they have to wait for her to be really bleeding heavily so they feel that they're safe under the law.
0: Right. Or the fetus is going to die, but it's not dead yet. It has a heartbeat. And there's a fetal heartbeat law. But you know that the baby is going to die as soon as it's born or something and that the mother could die giving birth to the baby. But ob their hands are tied because of these state laws that, that are completely oblivious or, like I said, maybe willfully oblivious to these nuances of how women's health care works. in in like the modern era.
2: This is causing doctors and abortion care providers to leave the field in droves because of the threat of prosecution. If they make a wrong call on what's necessary to save the life of a woman, they're increasingly not allowing the health of the mother or the best care of the mother uh, to be a reason for performing an abortion. Mother's life has to be in danger. Which has been held to me she's like bleeding to death and in five minutes she will have bled out if you don't do something. I mean they're really, really narrow uh, definitions and they're killing people already.
0: And then even this like exceptions for rape and incest is such a problematic exception problematic in the sense that like what what do you have to do to prove you were raped in order to not be prosecuted for having an abortion? And what do you how do you how do you you know, what do you as an OB-GYN have to do to ensure that your patient has proven that they were the victim of incest or rape before you get an abortion? I mean, it's like the amount of steps, hurdles that one might have to jump through is daunting, as you can imagine, especially in the case of incest. A lot of people, the victims don't have the ability to find legal redress before they would get an abortion. So it's just like, it's like politicians kind of trying to wash their hands of, the dirty details of these laws.
2: Well, I I don't think they are. I think the right-wingers who are running most of the uh, Republican-controlled states are relishing this. They think it's what their base wants. They're trying to be Trumpier than Trump. And to hell with women. They don't care what it sounds like.
0: Well, that's why it's interesting that the language is changing now where they don't even want to like deal with these exceptions anymore, right? Now the language is like uh what do you call it?
2: Well, I call it absolutist, in other words, no abortions ever. Basically, maybe if the mother's on the threshold of death, but otherwise not. But can we talk about what women are doing here and not just their victimization? Sure.
0: Yeah. So, you know, what do you see that's going on right now in response to the Dobbs ruling?
2: Well, hundreds of thousands if not millions of women are mobilizing. There were huge demonstrations right after the decision. Unfortunately, it was too little and too late to stop it, but now there's enormous activity in in the women's movement trying to protect the right where it still exists, raising money all over the country to send poor women out of a state where abortion is now effectively illegal to receive care in other states, helping women get telemedicine appointments to receive the abortion pill in the mail, and trying to block new attempts to outlaw abortion, which are going on in every state and nationally, Congress. But giddy with their success in the courts, the right-wingers' assaults on women's rights have intensified. Some states are now outlawing the abortion pill, a normally safe alternative to abortion, if taken early. States are even claiming they can outlaw your receiving the pills in the mail as if they could control the mail. This morning I got an email from Amnesty International that says... Quote, reports are surfacing that Facebook and Instagram are removing posts with information about how to access abortion pills and even temporarily banning people who post about abortion pills. This is incredibly dangerous for people seeking information about safe abortion, close quote. So this, the red states are moving with lightning speed at least the Trumpian ones, they're trying to change their constitutions to permanently ban abortion, but the public is not accepting these moves. Other states are amending their constitutions to guarantee the right to abortion. And the polls, if you're following them, show enormous support for the right to abortion. The most dramatic thing that happened was in Thoroughly Red, Kansas on August 2 when the anti-abortionists had put a proposal on the ballot to permit the state legislature to change the Constitution so that they could outlaw abortion uh, in the Constitution, in other words permanently for Kansas. But to everyone's surprise even though that state went for Trump by something like 20 points the proposition was defeated by 20 points. The, The support for abortion not only is has been for some time very high way over majority something like 70 percent it's now gone up because people are shaken up by what happened in Dobbs, and they see the handwriting on the wall for all abortion rights so they're fighting like hell in all kinds of different ways and it's put the republican trumpites in big trouble in current and future elections,
1: how many states give people the ability to put questions like abortion to the voters by means of referenda? I would assume that uh, the you know Republican states are scurrying to make it uh, impossible to put something like that on on referendum right now because if uh, you can by referendum keep abortion legal in Kansas, you can probably keep it legal by referendum anywhere in the country, maybe, with the exception of Alabama and Mississippi.
2: I don't know the answer to your question. Most states have some procedure for putting anything on a referendum that gets enough signatures and petitions. But I, I don't think that's the main p- point of contention. In other words, if you can defeat a referendum proposal like that, you should also be able to turn the Republican legislators and governor who want to do that, you should be able to turn them out of office. So there's a lot of emphasis now on registering and voting and preserving voting rights where they're being taken away uh, so that we don't get uh, continue in a position where half the states have legislatures that hate women and want to ban them from having
0: lives. And were you surprised by the Dobbs decision?
2: (sighs) No, not at all. First of all, it was leaked in April, uh, but it was clear at the oral argument last December that the Trump Republican court was going to take away women's autonomy over our own bodies. And it was clear much earlier that Roe would be lost after Trump got to pick three members of the Supreme Court. His nominees were questioned at their ratification hearings about whether they had an agenda to eliminate Roe, and they all just lied and said, no, 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 they were open-minded, they believed in precedent, they believed in was established law, they all said that. But everyone knew or should have known what would happen because Trump had promised his Christian fundamentalist base that he would get rid of Roe and he was busily appointing right-wing anti-abortionist judges to the lower federal courts. But a, a deeper reason for knowing this would happen was the misogynist and anti-human rhetoric and practices of most Trump appointees and policies uh, in every uh, field of government, whether it's defunding health care or ripping babies from immigrant mothers at the border. So this New decision is, is simply the culmination of 50 years of counter-revolution
1: against Rome. What I heard from a, a lot of commentators, abortion rights activists and other people uh, on TV and such, is they weren't surprised either, uh, but they would say, well, I'm not surprised, but I'm still shocked it comes as a a blow to them, even though they they fully expected it. Is that your experience as well, Anne?
2: Yes, uh, and it's a continuing shock. I'm still having trouble getting my head around it. To realize that half the population in the U.S. has suddenly been relegated to second-class citizenship, we've been stripped of our personhood and reduced to breeders without control over our own bodies and lives. I was also shocked by the vicious misogyny of the decision, which talks about fetuses as persons while ignoring the effect of the end of abortion rights on women. So women can no longer live full autonomous lives. And Justice Alito, who wrote the decision, actually sneers at the bare mention of the word woman. And he says nothing about their rights or his decisions impact on them. And he sort of makes fun of the dissenting decision, which was written by the two women still on the court and byers who left. Uh, and he sort of sneers at them for calls their legal arguments silly when his are just made up out of thin air to a large extent.
0: Maybe we should get into what that rationalization was. For the last 50 years, the Supreme Court had guaranteed this right. And now it's all of a sudden not a constitutional right. So What was the logic behind that for the the conservatives on the court?
2: I think logic is too uh, strong a word to use. You can read the thing, you won't understand it because it's in legalese, but basically what the Alito and the majority did was lie. They lied about the history of abortion laws, saying, oh, it was always illegal. They lied about the history of the constitutional provisions that are the basis for the rights invoked by Roe. They lie about what they mean, what they meant, and they lie about the prior court decisions. So you can't analyze this decision like you would uh, normally analyze a Supreme Court decision because it's crazy. And Once the highest court in the nation has turned its back on even bourgeois law, in favor of political agenda, and it's gone rogue, like Dobbs is. The court can define our future, because there's no higher authority who can stop it. And it's terrifying, frankly.
1: And they can do it on a case-by-case basis, coming up with whatever rationalization they feel at the moment, you know, split this hair, split that hair. They've thrown out precedent. They've thrown out consistency, it seems. And so, basically, it's they're just going to do whatever they feel like it in, in furtherance of their own political agenda. They're communicating that pretty clearly, I think. Is, is that is that the way you see it? Uh,
2: yes. Well, they haven't said it except where the decision talks about the Fourteenth Amendment, but it's certainly implied in everything they that Alito says and does. row regard on the Constitution's provisions in the 14th Amendment. They're for equal protection of the law and due process of law and the intrinsic right to privacy. And these are suddenly meaningless phrases, since, of course, the Constitution doesn't enumerate abortion rights or gay rights (coughs) or um, racial equality or anything. So you have to read them in through the 14th Amendment and other provisions. And now you can't. So... It's a whole new world, right? I mean, over the last 40 years in particular, the court has found new constitutional rights, uh, people's individual freedoms, um, such as uh, racial and and sexual orientation and stuff. But it's never been done what they did in Dobbs, which is not to find new rights, but to take away 50-year-old rights. So it's not really about law at all. It's about diminishing rights, and it's obviously a trick in service to a political agenda. If I may add this, that that the tragedy on top of the tragedy here is that we may well have kissed the rule of law goodbye altogether since on the basis of Dobbs, no rules or laws need to be enduring. They can just come and go on the whim of the authoritarian ruler who makes up all the laws he wants or needs. So this makes it all even more terrifying.
1: They're first of all telling us we don't have any rights other than the rights that are explicitly spelled out in the Constitution or people, I don't know, 250 years ago understood, according to their interpretation of what people understood 250 years ago, the Constitution to mean. Our our rights can't grow, you know, and expand as society develops. But, I mean, even beyond that, they ignore, as you said, they ignore a lot of things. They make up things. They lie. They're telling us that we are just garbage, that we have really no rights at all, and that they're going to do to us whatever they can get away with, which, I mean, one understands that when the ruling class feels that it has to do that, it does that anyway, but it's a real kind of shocker that they're saying this openly that we don't matter and they're going to do what the hell they want uh, despite our our opposition and and so much of the country is opposed to them.
0: The fact that so much of the sentiment of the country is opposed to the Dobbs decision is pretty striking. I mean, the Kansas referendum was striking. I mean, some in the Republican Party have worried about the the political backlash to this as, you know, it seems like the Kansas vote pretends a possible backlash. There's discussion about the upcoming midterm elections in the US maybe not favoring the Republicans as strongly as, you know, before this decision, as they were favored. There was this quote going around right after the Dobbs decision by some, some Republican strategist saying that this was a case of the dog that caught the car. I think implying that this was a, this sort of anti-abortion politics was more favorable to the right when it was just oppositional, but when they weren't actually in charge of the actual decision-making, when they could just be against something and not actually changing laws and, and uh, having actual effect on the world.
2: Yeah, they got their way, and now it's coming back to bite them. I think they're in big trouble in November.
0: So it remains to be seen how potent a force the backlash is going to be, whether it's going to you know affect the Trumpite base... Enough or swing like the moderate Republicans away from these hard right anti abortion candidates that are running in a lot of places. It's, it definitely seems like the Democrats are running on this abortion issue in a lot of places. They're trying to tie Republican candidates directly to the anti abortion rhetoric in order to uh, peel Republican voters away from the uh, Republican candidates
1: yeah and the republicans really overplayed their hand you know they got the six to three supermajority, and so four decades five decades of well of course exceptions for rape and incest and of course we don't want to criminalize the woman who gets an abortion and of course of course all of that went out the window and so a lot of people who have kind of like middle positions on abortion they would be in favor of it with a lot of restrictions only so they're for restricting abortion rights, but when it comes down to an absolute ban on abortion, no exceptions, criminalizing women, you know, criminalizing the doctors, you, you you play your hand like that, like the Republicans have done, they're going to get a lot of people who are going to say, and that seems to be the case in Kansas, even among Republican voters, no, we're not going to go that far with you. So they may have stepped out from the cliff you know beyond the cliff
0: the question is like what what are people supposed to do now because the supreme court has set up this precedent or you know made this decision now where this is just something that is fought on a state-by-state basis and can be changed back and forth depending on the whims of uh the voters or or politicians so like what what is the women's movement doing now to save access to abortion
2: well the women's movement scrambling to do everything to fight in the state state-by-state state, as we must to provide help to women who need abortions and need money to get out of state or whatever and uh, lobbying to try to change the state legislatures and to turn people out for the uh, congressional elections to see if anything can be done by Congress it's just there all over the place doing things. Uh, But it's too little too late to stop the Supreme Court. The demonstrations following the decision didn't evoke any comment or apologies from the Supremes or the right wing. And going back to having each state control its own policy is like in the bad old days of Jim Crow and total racial discrimination. Right? States' rights was always the cry of the reactionaries when it meant we can discriminate all we want against black people as long as there's no federal law prohibiting it. So all the advances in this area of the last 40 and more years um, now may be turned back on this principle of states' rights, which it's not discussed in the decision except in terms of oh, this is always where the decision belongs. This is how you have democracy, by letting the states decide things because they're more in touch with their populations than is the federal government.
0: Yeah, and even before Jim Crow, that was like the the lead-up to the Civil War.
2: Yeah, that that too. We got the right to secede,
1: yeah. State
0: by state. Is this state going to be a slave state or, or a free state? And they kept fighting over, each state was a battleground until it just, turned out to turned into a war. Yeah,
1: and they're in favor of states' rights, except when they're not. For instance, they got rid of uh, New York State's ability to regulate open carry of uh, handguns. And the governor here in New York State and, and the legislature have done things to try to mitigate that. But even that's no principle with those people. They're just blatant political hacks uh, who are going to do what they're going to do and find whatever excuse.
2: Yeah, but let's look at what women are doing, okay, regardless of what the state legislatures are doing. or well, not regardless, but to stop, they're trying to stop the state legislatures from passing these draconian laws like the ones that actually criminalize abortion or even driving someone to an abortion clinic. As Texas law now um, makes anyone involved able to be sued so we're depending on good people being elected to the state government and being able to pass good laws and that's just not uh, an acceptable way to guarantee anybody rights it has caused many women and young people to enter the races for state government so i'm glad to see that but we all know from all the gerrymandering and voter suppression that's been going on that attempt to create a legislature that actually reflects the people's will uh, may not be possible and it may not be able to stop the suppression of women and the loss of our rights. So I believe that what's needed are mass actions in the streets and it's the only thing that's going to save abortion at all. I'm advocating women's marches, women's strikes, women's occupations, women's boycotts, etc. In short, we need to bring capitalism to a halt in order to force it to give up rule by these right-wing women-haters. And I don't know uh, that women's movement can't do this alone, but I think that's the direction it should be pursuing. And I think more and more people are talking about such things.
1: And when you say occupation, you mean occupy the Supreme Court?
2: Uh, No, they won't let you in. You're not going to get them to rescind their old decision. I I mean general disruption of business as usual in every facet of this country's business. So certainly they they should occupy the state legislatures. So if they're considering passing draconian laws. Anyway, I'm trying to illustrate the severity of the problem and the need for drastic action by women's groups and others.
1: The major reproductive rights organizations uh, and women's organizations are any of them thinking in these terms or are they thinking more in terms of just legal actions and, you, you know, in other words, court filings and stuff? And electoral politics.
2: I'm afraid I don't know. I I certainly want to research that more thoroughly. But you know, the the ones you hear about are the more middle class women's groups, and they have their ways of doing things, and that's whose emails reach me. And they are talking largely about running candidates in state and uh, federal elections who are pro-women's rights and raising funds, setting up networks to help women in the United States (laughs) to get out and get an abortion elsewhere. Some of the states like New York are even creating funds to pay for women's trips themselves, the state pay themselves and put up the women in in, uh, hotels and all that to make it possible. So there's that kind of activity going on, but I don't. I only see a few left wing radicals calling for the kind of action that I would call for.
0: Well, a couple years ago, when Biden was first elected, you know, people were fantasizing about all these different things, like packing the Supreme Court, impeaching justices for lying during their confirmation hearings, along with all all these other pro-democracy measures. And I think a lot of the wind was taken out of the sail of those sort of aspirations when the the voting protections measures that were being uh, worked on by the Democrats were sabotaged by Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. But I wonder if any of that stuff is still on the agenda or is that all just considered like out of the realm of possibility right now by the movement?
2: I don't know. I did hear one congressperson talk about, you know, this shows that we need to expand the number of people in the court, which means, of course, to dilute the current court's powers by letting some liberals on who will outnumber them. So I don't think that's dead as an idea. I think, however, they are going to have to be enormous changes in Congress before that happens. At that point, Congress could also pass a federal law protecting the right to abortion. I don't know if it would survive the Supreme Court, since they are so political, but it could at least try to codify Roe versus Wade. There were calls for that long, long ago, long before Dobbs. People were saying, hey, we need more protection. In case it goes, we need a federal law that guarantees the right. That could be done if, if anything could be done if there could be a change in the Supreme Court. So we have to see what happens if uh, we're able to get a a more, quote, left-leaning, close quote, Congress. In other words, if the Democrats come back with majorities or firmer majorities, will they have the nerve to do some things that badly
1: need to be done? There was a move recently among, you know, the kind of progressive wing of the Democratic Party. People were saying, the reason that you guys are down in the polls is you've alienated your own constituencies, your own base. You promised them stuff and then you don't fight to the death to uh, deliver. And so what you got to do is you got to say, if we get, let's say, a 52 seat Senate majority, in other words... You'd have 50 plus uh, the Republican wing mansion in cinema, but 50 would do it. You know, we guarantee that if we get 52 seats, we're going to get rid of the filibuster for one time only and not have a filibuster. And by a 50 whatever plus Kamala Harris tiebreak vote, we're going to have a federal law to protect abortion rights everywhere in the country. And so the the idea was to try to get every sitting senator that you could. To, to say, yeah, we're going to make this pledge. Not their usual weasel worded stuff, but we pledge that if we get a 52 majority, we will vote to suspend the filibuster for this and vote in a national uh, voting rights protection. Uh, I think that stalled. I think they, they, they got dozens of, of senators, but a lot of them still never wanted to come out and say publicly, yeah, I am committed and, you know, I'm signing on the dotted line, that that is what I commit myself to doing. And what that that is basically telling people is it's still politics as usual. It's still, we can't count on you. You know, we're supposed to trust you when we've been betrayed again and again and again. So I I don't know where this is headed now, but I think that those efforts just stalled.
2: Well, people people weren't prepared for dubs. Maybe it'll pick up again. Hopefully when the Congress people go home on recess, or have they gone already? If they hold uh, the town hall meetings and stuff, they'll be packed with women who will be throwing tomatoes at them for not having done something earlier to save the right to abortion. It could be a whole new ball game politically. It could be the demise of the Republican Party, let's hope. Um, but that will not, as I said, that won't automatically bring about abortion rights. I say bring about and not restore because the laws we had um, in place for 50 years were, were very weak the entire time the states uh, and then churches had chipped away at the right to abortion so there were so many restrictions and exceptions and making it very very difficult to function as an abortion clinic I won't go into all that but uh, they were in bad shape before before Dobbs you remember it was what 20 years ago that uh, right-wingers were killing abortion providers shooting them dead in the clinics and in their places of worship and everything. And that's a fight that hasn't been resolved one way or another, frankly, by these legal decisions. We have to go much further.
1: Yeah, and I mean, even New York City. I mean, I remember Ann and I were active in, in, in clinic defense. I think this was the early 90s. People came from God knows where, and they were trying to harass and block access uh, to women trying to get abortions right in the middle of Manhattan. You know, so this is not just benighted South or rural versus urban. I mean, you know, they, they were right in our face. And this was, this was like 30 years ago.
2: Well, and they, they still are. There's still pickets every Saturday, uh, counter pickets because the uh, right wing anti-abortionist common picket against abortion care. It's, it's still going on.
1: But, but are they harassing and blocking access and doing all those kinds of things? Or are they well, just demonstrating?
2: Some laws were passed against their blocking access. So they can't get too close to the building or the people. But they're harassing them and they're yelling at them. And if the abortion rights people yell back, the cops intervene always on the side of the anti abortionists It's really incredible i mean incredible for new york city we expect the cops to be a little more enlightened
1: of course a lot of them are associated with the catholic church yeah
0: hey we're going to return to this conversation in just a moment but first as we do in every episode we're going to take just a few minutes to hear from Angie clard organizational secretary of marxist humanist initiative the organization which sponsors this podcast
2: Marxist Humanist Initiative, or MHI, aims to contribute to the transformation of this capitalist world by projecting, developing, and concretizing the philosophy of Karl Marx and its further development in the Marxist humanism articulated by Raya Donayevskaya. The ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and today's many other social, political, and economic crises make this a moment to engage people in discussion of these ideas. In the U.S., we are faced with the threat of Trumpism triumphing in all-out authoritarianism ext- Distinguishing our right to carry on these discussions. Yet at the same moment, the multiracial movement for black lives has spread to every corner of the country and the world, launching a flood of activism and new ideas that deepen the concept of freedom. MHI is dedicated to the task of proving theoretically that an alternative to capitalism is possible. We are distinguished by our economic analyses, in which we do not merely assert but demonstrate that the only opposite to the current world economic system is its abolition and replacement with one not based on the production of, quote, value, close quote. Because capitalism cannot be fundamentally reformed, attempts to reform it lead to an intensification of state capitalism, not to socialism. We are not a political party, nor are we trying to lead the masses who will form their own organization and whose emancipation must be their own act. Our ideas and actions, as well as our structure and rules, are guided by the interests of working people and freedom movements of people of color, LGBTQ people, other minorities, women, youth, and all those around the world who are struggling for self-determination in order to freely develop their own human natures. We have no interests separate and apart from theirs. To this end, we open our website to the widest possible dialogue with people around the world we intend to practice as well as espouse a two-way road between our organization and people outside it as essential to developing a single dialectic in the relationship of theory to practice and as the way to assure the survival of Marxist humanism. Please join us.
0: So you were just mentioning activism that you've been engaged in Anne, over your, the past decades on this issue. So how does this tie into your Marxist humanism. You know, why have you spent so much time fighting for women's reproductive rights over the years?
2: Well, to me, there's no separation between being a Marxist humanist and being a feminist. Uh, The right to control her own body and reproduction is so fundamental to personhood that it's a condition for all other freedoms. You you can't even talk about women's uh, autonomous self-development without freeing her from the shackles of unwanted pregnancies followed by years of childcare, Every women's rights movement has encompassed this demand for reproductive freedom. So I think this is exactly what Marx and Marxist humanism are involved with, that is we're centered on the aim and process of expanding human freedom. It's obvious to me there can be no diminution of a woman's control of her own body and still talk about expanding human freedom. Only when she has autonomous rights and control of her body can her mind be free to develop. One thinks of Marx's 1844 essay on private property and communism where he says that a society's treatment of women is a reflection of men's treatment of women and men as well. One thinks about Marxist humanism's emphasis on the autonomy and self-development of mass movements for freedom, women as well as workers, youth, and minorities. So MHI has a long history, our history, plus previous Marxist humanist history of supporting mass freedom movements and the women's movement no less than any others. What I wish I had done more of, however, was was theorizing and discussing this relationship and uh, leaving some kind of legacy for for Marxist feminism that has been pretty much dead over the last few decades.
1: Yeah, I'm still thinking about that comment that Marx made in his essay on private property and communism that, that Anne cited. I've always understood it kind of similarly to when people say you, you can understand the nature of a society by looking at how they treat their prisoners. And you, you can really understand, I guess, the, the nature of a society by seeing position of women and uh, the status of women. And I guess that's what, because uh, prisoners and and women traditionally have been those that are most vulnerable, easiest to abuse, and so forth. Uh, And so if you're going to see abuses and inhumanity, you're going to see it first among uh, the treatment of prisoners of women and so forth. Is that that how you understand it?
2: Yes, they are the most marginalized, the most powerless. Prisoners are absolutely powerless and subject to the whims of men. And the men have not always been kind. And the men are not necessarily interested in women's rights. Certainly the Trumpite types think that we should go back to uh, make America great again, the days when women were barefoot and pregnant, <clears throat> stayed in the kitchen. That is still common in many cultures and countries. There's uh, Every country in the world that I know of has a fight going on for women's rights among grassroots women. So we have not achieved anything like a, a equitable society, uh, nor are we likely to under capitalism, in my opinion.
0: It's clever marketing that the religious right has couched anti-abortion politics as a fight to save unborn babies because it gives cover for what is really a extremely uh, misogynistic view of the role of women in society. I mean, these people, ev- ev- most evangelicals have some degree of belief and the idea that women should be subordinate to men. If you listen to evangelicals talk about like the role of women in society, they have like extremely, extremely reactionary and and old school views about women and men's roles. And this abortion thing is, I mean, that's what this is really about. It's not about like these abstract discussions on like when life begins or anything like that. It's about controlling women and their place in society.
2: Absolutely, and this all came about, this place we're at today all came about through unfortunate historical happenings which reflect the politics of the times. In other words, not only did the main laws against abortion uh, come only at the end of the uh, 1800s, uh, along with them the rendering medicine more professional and the doctors should be in control, not the women and that sort of thing. But in particular for our times, it was until 40 years ago, the Catholic Church that was interested in abortion. Uh, what political motivations they have, I won't speculate about, but for them it's a sin and there's no two ways about it and you never abort but it was not widespread except among Catholics. And then the evangelical right-wing Christian, white Christian nationalist movement began to develop around the time of Ronald Reagan in 1980s. And they joined forces with the Catholic Church. They were very smart and together they accumulated quite a bit of power and influence. So that's just the history of how we got here, how we get out—I'm not sure. But you know, it was ready-made for Trump. Uh, no, no I was not religious in the least. But for him to uh, satisfy a big section of his base—that is, the white nationalist Christians—to uh, take up this issue, and that's how we got here. Well, yes, the Dobbs decision does turn primarily and heavily on the rights of what they call unborn children, a fancy word for a fetus, and that's what they privilege over women's rights. They don't even talk about women's rights. It's not in the picture, because like the Catholic Church, if you're an absolutist about a, a fetus being a person, that's the end of the story, and you consider the personhood attaches at the moment of conception there's no point at which abortion could be permitted so that throws all of Roe versus Wade out because Roe versus Wade carefully laid out well you can do you can have abortions in the first trimester and sometimes in the second trimester but never in the third etc that's all meaningless once you say life begins at conception and any termination of it is murder And that's what apparently what we're going back to uh, if Alito gets his way, well, he's gotten his way so far in terms of we've lost federal protection, but maybe we can yet save the right to abortion.
0: And maybe you could also talk to us a little bit about the course of the women's movement over the past 50 years or so.
2: Before Roe was passed, uh, not passed, uh, handed down, we were fighting for federal laws to get passed and state laws to get passed, and some states did pass laws for the right to abortion. But at that time, the women's movement took a much more militant stance or theoretically militant about what it all meant. Our chant was always free abortion on demand. Now, the free port was, part was important because there was less government-funded health care in those days, and it was expensive, so for it to be available to all women, it had to be free, and on-demand means without restrictions, with no restrictions, and that was always our slogan, free abortion on demand, and it was always included and still is always included in any feminist group's agenda what they're working on because the problem's never gone away and because it's so fundamental. Absolutely imperative for women to have any control of their lives, that they have autonomy of their bodies. So that was what we chanted. And we also chanted, free our sisters, free ourselves, to indicate that the feminists were standing with all women, especially poor and black women. And then over the years, as the pro-abortion movement became more centered on large organizations, NGO types, professional types who had the money in the organizations to control demonstrations and ads and movements and stuff. The demands narrowed. The main demand we heard at clinic defense most of the time, I'd say, for the last 20 or 30 years is just keep abortion legal and that really riles me keep abortion legal because it's so limited it's so narrow it's like the most we can do is hope to keep row which didn't work anyway <clears throat> so i always objected i said no we have to say more than keep it legal we have to say free on demand and a few other things but i did not prevail mostly the movement was engaged in non-disruptive defensive actions like picket lines. There were massive demonstrations for women's rights over the years, but most feminists didn't believe that Roe could actually be overturned. So that was not the center point. And I recently heard some other feminists speaking about this, and I'm going to write some of that up in the article I'm working on on this subject. But I'm not blaming the women for losing the right, but I'm saying we should learn the lesson that you can't go halfway, that you can't try to be polite, that you can't give over your movement to the professionals or the middle-class women. Much more radical stances and activity is required. I think now there will be some review and rethinking about history and strategy. That women are beginning to grapple with theoretical questions about women and society. Uh, in terms of abortion rights and what the meaning of rights is and what revolutionary implications there are when you demand women's freedom.
0: Well, this has been a great conversation, so thank you, Anne, for coming on the podcast again to give us your insights. Thanks
1: so much for coming on, Anne, and talking uh, with us about uh, Dobbs and the fight back against it. Thank you. <laughs> thank
2: you. I want to see us mobilize the world in this fight, so... <laughs> Let's get out there with a tape.
0: Hey, that's all the time we have for this episode of Radio Free Humanity. If you like the podcast, please do stop by MarxistHumanistInitiative.org to listen to other episodes and to read more about these issues and others. As always, if you like the podcast, we encourage you to write to us, to comment and rate the podcast, and of course to share with all your friends and enemies.